Support for Eagles Enemies is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 2.0, very similar to how we hope Howie Roseman has sat down with this Eagles front office and constructed the ultimate roster. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. So you can take a longer, you can shave for the duration of one and a half football games. That simple. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology that's about as fast as the Eagles wide receivers will be running down the field all season long catching passes from Carson Wentz. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by the simple USB. If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours and get 20% off and free shipping with the code USP at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Like I said, get 20% off and free shipping with the code USP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code USP. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get into Season 3, Episode 1 of Eagles Enemies. Presented by Underground Sports, Philadelphia. Reach out, it could be better than a fantasy. I got my levels out of place last night was a long one Looking for a quick fix, looking for a shortcut But if I want a game plan for the long run What do I bring to the table, said dumb luck There's a good chance the last thing I pick up Will show up in my sleep and crash all my dreams With some shit I won't repeat Cause it's not what I'm proud of Some heaviness, some pettiness, some things I'm ashamed of Alright Eagles fans, I don't know if you expected a win on Monday night against the Seahawks But if you did, you're fooling yourselves So the Eagles are currently in third place at 3-7-1 and and getting ready to face another gauntlet matchup over these next four games. It's game two of the gauntlet stretch. Welcome back to Eagles Enemies presented by Underground Sports Philadelphia. KB hanging with you in Underground Studios and joining me this week on the voice line. He covers the Green Bay Packers, a new guest on the show. The one and only Peter Bukowski joins me to talk all about the Cheeseheads. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. 
Thanks for having me. I'm a little disappointed, honestly, that it's not Four Seasons Landscaping as a as a sponsor, but <laughs> that might be the best uh, first intro for a new guest we've ever had. <laughs> the timing just worked out. It's absolutely perfect. Uh, let's get a little bit into this Packers team. They've been absolutely electric this year. Um, I know a lot of people during the offseason and, you know, after the draft, questioning a lot of things with, you know, decision-making uh, when it came to roster construction and obviously drafting Jordan Love and doubting Aaron Rodgers if he still had it. He obviously does. He's an MVP candidate this year. Uh, what do you think has kind of, you know, clicked for this team so far and how they've been performing so well, even though they didn't really make too many big major changes on that offense? Yeah, you know, the the organization um, had its eye on making some moves. And so when we talk about, oh, they they didn't uh, do anything, it's not that the, the front office didn't want to make any moves. They certainly did want to add talent. They looked very hard at this draft class. Um, they were, they were really interested in the receivers. Um, they, they interviewed all of them at the combine. Um, there were, they had a, a top group of guys. And then what they decided basically was after a, a certain number of players, and that list was like eight to 10 guys long, they decided that the developmental players in the draft. So the, the guys that they had graded below a certain level we're just not likely to be any more impactful in the short or long term than the developmental guys that they had on the roster. Guys like Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, Equinemius St. Brown, Darius Shepard, and others. So they had to rely on the internal development of this organization. And, and when I say organization, I mean Matt LaFleur. His play calling has gotten better. He and Aaron Rodgers had this constant communication over you know all of the, the different digital ways that you can communicate. Um, that that said, hey, these are the plays we like. These are the plays we don't. These are the plays that play to the strength of our team, and, and these don't. And so what we're seeing now this year is rather than a mixing of the old Packers and the new Packers offense, it's rather than Matt LaFleur plus Mike McCarthy, this is all Matt LaFleur. He's just been able to do it uh, in a way that he's taking all of the elements in this offense that Rodgers likes and, and is putting him in a position to succeed. So you're seeing more motion. They're more effective on play action. And they, they've just been really the, the offense that we thought they could be when they hired Matt LaFleur. I, I have to ask this because I think it's absolutely electric each and every Tuesday. How fun is it having the media availability extension, having Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays on the Pat McAfee show? Oh, my God. Well, it just from like a, as someone who probably speaks and writes more words about the Packers than than almost anyone, um, it is a great content machine. And so there's never a shortage of things on a Tuesday or a Wednesday to write or talk about because Rogers is going to give you something. He's going to give you a laugh line. Um, it's, and it's just, I mean, I think those guys, that show is great. Um, Ty is a Packers fan. So you have that element as well. And I, I mean, I think Pat is becoming, you know, he's, he's sort of like sports Howard Stern for this generation. I mean, I think that show is incredible and it comes through with that Rogers interview. Rogers is not just going to do that show with anybody. And if he didn't like doing it, if he didn't have a blast doing it, he wouldn't do it for 40 minutes every week. So it's it's really a cool thing for me. And then how cool is it as well to kind of get the former player aspect in there whenever 
you know, AJ Hawk is involved as well because I know how big he was, yeah. you know, with the Packers during his playing days. Well, it, it helps because they played together. You know, if it's Leroy Butler or someone like Antonio Freeman, like if it's a name player who didn't play with Raj, it's just a little different. But the dynamic is great because Aaron is not only friends with AJ Hawk, they were teammates. And so there's a they have a lot of like inside things that AJ can sort of throw out there and, uh, you know, see how Aaron reacts. So. No, that, that dynamic is is really, really cool. We used to have this thing on uh, ESPN, Milwaukee, ESPN, Wisconsin, um, that was Tuesdays with Aaron. So it's funny that this is Tuesdays, but that's their that's usually a, a day off or a light day for them. Um, and it was a local uh, reporter in Milwaukee, or I guess Madison, um, who would do that. And that was really insightful, too. So when we get these glimpses into into Aaron Rodgers' personality, I know he's got a little bit of a reputation as being kind of a prickly guy. But I think every time we see these extended looks at him, um, you get to know him a little bit better. You get to understand him a little bit better. And I think some of the prickliness that that we do get, I think, frankly, makes a little bit more sense and in some ways makes him a little bit more endearing. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think a lot of people coming into this season were very, like, turned away by Aaron Rodgers because like you said he kind of had like that prickly personality and how he came off but I think since he's been you know making himself available on the Pat McAfee show and kind of giving an inside look at like just who he is as a person I think a lot of people have really started to gravitate towards him again as a player and just as a person I think it's been really fun to kind of watch like it also translate to how he's been playing on the field this year. It has. And, and he talked last year about, you know, having fun again. And I think, you know, the collaborative environment with Matt LaFleur is something that challenges him mentally. And, you know, if you some of the reports that came out last offseason, you know, your mileage may vary on some of the anonymous sourcing stuff. But, you know, one of them sticks out to me because it was, you know, that that Rogers by the end really no longer respected Mike McCarthy's football acumen. And I don't look, I don't know if that's true. That's that's what the the anonymous source said. So let's just take that for what it's worth. If you think about, you know, the way this offense looks now and all of the elements that Rodgers and LaFleur have built together and the fact that it is collaborative, it is this new thing. It's always evolving. If you're a savant level mind when it comes to football, you want new challenges. And I think. You know, Trent Dilfer brought this up. Dan Orlovsky has brought this up. Rodgers, at the end of the Mike McCarthy era, was a little bit of the the gifted kid who was sitting in the back of the class, not being pushed and making jokes because it was easy for him. And so he wasn't I don't think he was as locked in on game day because it was all he just sort of like, yeah, this is what we do. He needed to be stimulated. He needed to be challenged. He needed to be. And I don't even mean challenged like, hey, you need to do this. But just like, oh, this is a new thing I didn't I didn't think of. I didn't I never I never had to process. I never had to deal with before. And so he's really risen to that challenge. And I think he's having fun with it. And you can see you know, they scored a, a touchdown on this beautiful play action shot play to to Robert Tanyan um, against the Bears on Sunday. And it was uh, Rogers talked about on the Pat McAfee show. He the the TV cameras caught him shaking off LaFleur like a pitcher. And, you know, you're like, OK, well, if we're going to play body language doctor, this is going to be on first take. Colin Cowherd is going to have ideas about this. 
And then it turns out they were discussing as much as you can discuss sort of over the one way communication device that coaches have about the, the play call, but the side of the play call. And Rogers was basically saying, I wanted to run it to the other side away from Khalil Mack. It turned in, turns into a touchdown. And after the throw, Rogers turns to the sideline and points at Matt LaFleur as if to say, great call. That kind of stuff was not happening at the end of, of the Mike McCarthy era. And it seems like these two guys have really found a rhythm that is that is letting Rodgers play the way that he wants to play, but also is setting him up to succeed. And you know what's really fun? Winning and being good. And unfortunately, in Philadelphia, as you know, that's just not happening a lot right now. And so you sort of have the opposite phenomenon going on in Philly, right? They can't get anything to work with Carson Wentz and and you can't build, you can't rebuild trust if you can't create those first couple steps. And so I think that's the problem or at least part of the problem that the Eagles are having with Wentz. At least that's my, my view as an outsider, um, you know, looking in on this. You are 1000% right. And I feel like both of these teams have handled their quote unquote quarterback controversies in completely different fashion because Aaron Rodgers, obviously, you know, a lot older than Carson Wentz, but still playing at an elite level. They draft Jordan Love in the first round. A lot of people, you know, questioning that pick and everything. And then you have Carson Wentz, who is just getting over that hill of the battle of the quarterback controversy with Nick Foles. And then the front office goes around and drafts Jalen Hurts in the second round and just starts the process all over again. What do you think? Do you think the the Packers drafting Jordan Love did that motivate Aaron Rodgers at all to just continue to kind of be like on this big fu tour to everybody that doubted him? <laughs> um, I, I I don't think it hurt, right? I mean, I, I think there is, um, you know, a level of of fu to this um, for Aaron Rodgers, and and he is someone who, by the way, does not need any outside help when it comes right. to chips on his shoulder. Uh, he is he is an expert at creating them for himself, even if they are imagined. Um, and, and I think this is something he has talked about the end in Green Bay and not wanting it to go the way Brett Favre did and not wanting, um, you know, he wanted to he wants to be in Green Bay for his whole career. And I think the first feeling that he felt and he said as much was. Uh, disappointment and and not that that in Jordan Love, but in the idea that, OK, if, if Jordan Love is any kind of player, he's probably going to mean uh, he has to play sooner rather than later, which means Aaron Rodgers is if he wants to play until 40 or later, not going to be able to to finish his career in Green Bay in all likelihood. Right. Um, how much of his play on the field can we, uh, you know, ascribe to this this mentality you know, I always feel like um, with athletes, positive motivation is better than negative motivation. Um, at least that's true for a lot of people. It's not true for, you know, some of the great ones, guys like Michael Jordan. Um, but like, I don't think Tom Brady is great because he was always trying to prove people wrong. I mean, I, I, I think the, the sort of like, oh, he was a day three pick, all that stuff. At a certain point, you're just really, really good. And I think that's the reality with Rodgers this year is he's just still a really, really talented player. And they were able to iron out the details is really the, the best way that I can put it because they just, you know, uh, Dan Orlovsky tweeted out a, a video of a little mesh route that they ran on, on Sunday against the bears. And it was, it was worked to perfection, a little first down on third and long on the first drive. 
And it was the kind of thing that last year the spacing was a half yard off. And the tight end, you know, if it was Jimmy Graham, he's not out there doing his job exactly right. Robert Tanyan was. And the spacing, the details, everything was just a little bit better. And in year two of this offense, that I think has been a, a big difference is everyone is on their details in a way that they weren't last year. And it's translated to Rodgers playing more on time. He's getting the ball out faster than really ever. And his completion percentage is up huge numbers. His um, efficiency is up yards per attempt. The deep shot numbers are better. Uh, obviously, the touchdown production has been off the charts. Everyone is better. And it, it really is, I think, just a testament to, um, you know, the quality of the guys, you know, Devontae Adams and, and this awesome offensive line, the coaching. I mean, everyone just they took what they did last year, which was good but not great, and they locked it up in a way that they hadn't last year. And, and that has really been the difference for everybody, Rodgers included. And you bring up the offensive line. That's one thing I've been impressed with when I watch this Packers team is they seem to be just clicking on all cylinders for the most part this entire season. They've played at such a high level. What's been the difference for that offensive line this year where you said Rodgers getting the ball out as quickly as possible, but even if he has to make some moves around in the pocket and kind of, you know, scramble around, he's getting that elite protection week in and week out. Yeah. If you look at, you know, ESPN's pass block win rate, Green Bay is not just number one. They are way out in front in terms of the combination of pass block and run block win rate. They're number one in both. But if you look at the Saints, right, the Saints have a great offensive line, Ryan Ramchek, Taron Armstead. They've got a really good group there. They're fifth in pass block win rate. Well, the difference between the Packers at one and the Saints at five in pass block win rate is the same gap as the Saints and the Panthers at 19. The Packers offensive line has been so good at protecting Aaron Rodgers. They make an elite offensive line like the Saints look like a middling offensive line like the Panthers. That is how good they've been this year. All five starting offensive linemen are in the top 10 in pass block win rate. I mean, all of the numbers are absurd. Rodgers doesn't get hit. He doesn't get pressured. The one game that he did, the Packers lost. So if you want to say, okay, the book on Aaron Rodgers is pressure him, good luck. Yeah, it, it has been magical watching that offensive line. Whenever the Packers are on you know, national TV and I get a chance to watch them, it's, it's like one of the first things – that pops out at you because Rodgers is just completely comfortable in the pocket and they have running lanes for a pretty damn good running back in Aaron Jones. What makes this guy tick? And obviously he's in a contract year, so that's playing, a, I think, a big part. I think that always happens with running backs because they do want to get paid. Um, but Aaron Jones has looked like, you know, the best of the best this season for the most part when he's out there. What makes him so dynamic? Because when you look at him, he seems like he'd be like one of those bruising type backs, but he's so damn fast too when he has uh, you know, room to run in the open field. Yeah, what's what's really interesting about Aaron Jones is he plays like a back who is much bigger. And he's only he's only about two twelve. But number one, he's yoked up, so he seems bigger. Um, uh, but he the thing about him is if you look at his forty time, you go, Oh, this guy's not dynamic. I think he ran four six two. And doesn't have the long speed, but he's so good changing directions. His first two or three steps 
he's so good accelerating. So when you talk about outside zone, you need to, you need to see it and hit it. So you need to get downhill one cut and go. And when you see the cutback, you've got to hit it. Well, he can do that. So if you just have that, you have Jamal Williams, which is, you know, the Packers second running back. He's a one cut downhill runner. He's physical. He is nasty. He invites the contact. He got knocked out on the first series last year uh, against Philly in frankly, what I thought was a dirty hit by Derek Barnett. If you take that and then you add the ability to make guys miss in space, he's got that wiggle in space where he can make the guy in the hole miss. And that to me, when I evaluate college running backs, that's, that's like one of the top things I want to see. Not just, can you get the yards that are blocked up? Can you get the yards that are blocked up plus at least one defender? Because if you can make that first defender miss, a lot of times you can turn, you can turn, first of all, minus two into plus four, but then you can turn four into eight, into 10, into 25. And that's what Aaron Jones does. What he's added to his game and what makes him truly special now, we saw it last year. He can run routes now and you can put him out there on linebackers and even safeties and he can get you big plays. I mean, they're running slant and goes with him. And, you know, these these double moves that you're asking receivers to run and tight ends to run. Once you can once you can do that, the sluggo, especially for running backs, once you can run that route, you just have to be like a part time receiver. That's just the deal, because it's so it's such a weapon. And the Packers, the funny thing is the offense has been this good and they haven't even really fully unleashed the running backs as pass catchers yet this season, because, frankly, they haven't really had to. Yeah, and I mean, when you have one of the best, if not the best wide receiver in the NFL, it kind of makes it a little easier on you when you have, you know, Devontae Adams doing what he does on a week-in and week-out basis. And I know revisionist history is always, you know, a a fun thing to discuss, but how much of a sigh of a relief is it that the Packers didn't pull the trigger for Will Fuller? Yeah, you know, it's it's something that they they obviously couldn't have known when when they were trying to deal for Will Fuller that he would be suspended. But this is also part of why they didn't want to go all the way up to the the Texans asking price. They wanted, my understanding of it is they wanted to sign him to a deal. And then they would be willing to give up the second round pick. So, okay, you can have uh the second round pick, but not only do we want Will Fuller, we want Will Fuller and we want him to sign a deal. Once it became clear that that wasn't going to happen, then the asking price comes down. And this is exactly the reason, right? If you can, if you can get him long-term, then you have him next year and the year after, if he gets suspended six games, it's not the end of the world because number one, you could still have him for the playoffs potentially. And number two, you have him in 2021, you have him in 2022 maybe, or whatever the deal was going to look like. So the the risk is different. You run the risk. Will Fuller, he's hurt every year. Of course, you don't want to give up a second round pick for that guy because he could get hurt or he could get suspended. And let's not, uh, you know, ignore the fact that he gets popped for a banned substance the same season he has his healthiest year as a pro. Yep, that was the first thing that popped in my head when I saw the news. I was like, well, if Will Fuller is going to go down for one thing when he's healthy, it it would it's going to end up being this. Um, the Packers wide receivers, though, have always been 
a topic of discussion since it's kind of been Devontae Adams and then everybody else. I I personally feel like the other two guys in this offense that get a lot of the touches, Alan Lazard, who just came back from his uh, core muscle injury, and then Marquez Valdez-Scantling are very good wide receivers. If they were on the Eagles, I would be absolutely thrilled. Uh, why do you think they <laughs> don't really get like the respect that I think they deserve? Um, because of their draft pedigree. I mean, that's that's really the answer. Um, Alan Lazard is a is a former UDFA. Uh, was was a star. I mean, anyone that watched college football knew Alan Lazard was a monster. No one in college football could cover this guy, and because. Um, you know, of, of perceived shortcomings and stop start and, and agility, you know, he came out at six, five, two twenty five. he ran four, five. I mean, it's not like this guy is slow. He can get down the field and, and does regularly create down the field for the green Bay Packers. He is, uh, one of their shot play guys. A- and yet there's this idea that, oh, he doesn't have speed. He has, um, you know, it's build up speed what they call it. So it, it takes him a little while to get going, but if he's running a go route, yeah, he can run by you. And then of course, Marquez Valdez Scanling, uh, is not a buildup guy. He's just a flat out burner. I mean, four, three speed. And I, there, I have not, I have not seen yet on, you know, if you get a deep post with no safety in the middle of the field or a go route with no safety help over the top, I have yet to see a corner run with Marquez Valdez Scanling all the way down the field. I just have yet to see it. So, um, from, from that standpoint, his big playability, I mean, he, he was supposed to be, and, and frankly, this season has sort of been the, the, the light version of, you know, what you would want from someone like John Hightower, what you would want from someone like Jalen Rager and, and what Deshaun uh, Jackson was, you know, sort of, uh, for, for the Eagles, the last time we saw him doing, uh, productive things, MBS was for a while leading the league in, in yards per catch. Um, I, I think Tyreek Hill has since taken that mantle from him, but his ability to win down the field makes him so dangerous. And then, you know, the last few weeks they've been incorporating him a little bit more on, you know, some of these over routes and, and, uh, getting him opportunities in space. So, you know, for him, it's all about confidence. If he's, if he's, you know, out there beating corners down the field and Rogers is finding him, he can be a, a huge part of, um, you know, and any offense, we also saw the the flip side of it against the Colts when, you know, they, they try and run a little bubble out to him on the left side and, and he fumbles it. It was uh, his first fumble as a pro. This is year three for him. His first fumble and not just his first loss fumble, not his first. Oh, he fumbled it and it was it went out of bounds. No, the first time he lost the ball ever after the catch in as a pro and it ends up costing them the game. So. To your point, I, I think either one of those guys would be starting uh, for the Eagles and, and would have been starting over the course of the season. In fact, Travis Fulgham, who had a cup of coffee with the Packers in the preseason, uh, more or less was starting most of the year for Philly, and he couldn't even make the Packers roster. Yeah, I, I did want to say thank you guys for sending us Travis <laughs> Fulgham because uh, he is absolutely beloved here. And everybody is, you know, banging their heads. Well, against except the by wall. the coaches, apparently. Yeah. Like the last week or two, it's like he can't get on the field because Alshon Jeffrey's back out there, even though he's sort of the better version of what Jeffrey is now at this point. Everyone is banging their heads against the wall because Alshon Jeffrey is on the field and is <laughs> old and washed, and you have Travis Fulgham right there, and you're not playing him. It drives us yeah. absolutely nuts. 
Um, <laughs> this Packers defense, though, they are there's some up and down moments with them. Their their secondary uh-huh. is top notch. Jair Alexander is one of my favorite players in the league. Um, but the run defense has you know been an issue pretty much all season. You know, just as a whole. What is it about Mike Pettin that, you know, his run defense seems to struggle at times? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I had uh, I had uh, Ben Solak on on my show, uh, Unlocked on Packers, uh, for Thursday. And, you know, we were just sort of laughing because Jim Schwartz cares about gap integrity on defense. And he's going to put four guys up front and he's going to fill those gaps and he's going to make sure that he has every gap covered. Mike Pettin um, doesn't care. He really just doesn't care. Uh, and he can say he cares and he can say, oh, you know, we're doing the X, Y, and Z. No, he does not care about run defense, really. Uh, what he cares about is pass defense. And his his famous quote last, last year was, um, it, it takes a lot longer to walk to Miami than to fly. And that was his way of saying, look, the, the fastest way you can get beat is through the air. Now, of course, the exception to that is if you give up 300 yards on the ground to the 49ers in the NFC Championship game or you give up 200-plus and four touchdowns to Dalvin Cook. There are, of course, exceptions to these rules when you play all-time bad defense, but that's just – that's going to happen. If you play all-time bad defense in any in any capacity, you're going to have problems. The other, the other issue is Green Bay's linebackers have just not been great. They weren't great last year. Um, and again, they don't, they just really don't care. And they didn't care that much with Dom Capers either. So, uh, I, I think part of this is a front office thing. They just don't think that position is that valuable. They've built a, a pretty incredible secondary with Jair Alexander, Adrian Amos and, and Darnell Savage at safety. Savage looks like he has a chance to be an absolute star player. Um, that they really like Kevin King, who's in the last year of his contract. And they like Josh Jackson, who, who came in and played admirably for King when he was hurt. Uh, earlier in the season. Uh, so uh, their thing is going to be, and there it was last week, I think it's going to be this week, um, we're we're going to rush four, similar to, to Schwartz, and, and we're going to make you go 10 plays. We're going to make you go 12 plays. And that's a little different than, than Schwartz because he's going to, you know, um, the, the Eagles will play that, that heavy cover one and just say, oh, well, if we get beat, we get beat. Mike Patton's not going to do that. It's, it's going to be a lot of cover three, a lot of cover two, um, two high, two high safety looks, and you, they're just not going to let you beat them over the top. They're going to make you go 10, 12, 15 plays. So against a team like the Colts that wants to go 10, 12, 15 plays, um, that's going to be great. And, uh, the Colts are going to be able to take advantage of that. I mean, great for opposing offenses, not for the Packers against Mitch Trubisky. Hey, it works out. We think, uh, you know, Mike Patton's view is. Hey, we think you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get a holding call or you're going to drop a ball or you're going to miss a, a block on a run assignment or, you know, we're going to get a turnover. And we don't think you can go to 10, 12, 15 plays five times in a game. And we know the offense is going to score 30. So good luck getting to 30. And I think that's going to be the same sort of approach against the Eagles. Let Carson Wentz try and make accurate throws because he hasn't done it all season. And if if they put together four touchdown drives of 15 plays, that's just going to be what it is. They're going to say, great, you you did it. Congratulations. Hopefully for you, that was enough to win. It probably isn't. And, and that's just going to be their perspective against most teams. Now, last season when these two teams played, it was kind of the Jordan Howard show at the running back position for the Eagles. 
This year, obviously, Miles Sanders has kind of come into his own when he gets the opportunity to uh, because mm-hmm. Doug Peterson puts like a 15-carry uh, cap on him and then it's you know goodbye to the run game. But is Miles Sanders the type of back that would give this Packers run defense fits? Well, he would if Philadelphia cared deeply about getting him the ball. And that would be one reason why you just sort of say, yeah, you know, if, if they let Miles Sanders rip off a 70 yard run, then either, you know, David Montgomery ripped off a 50 plus yarder last week. If they let him take a screen, let's say, and go 60 yards. Yeah, that can be a problem. Um, Green Bay has had some issues defending running backs in the passing game. And, and Philly certainly uses Sanders in that capacity. Um, I don't know why they haven't leaned more heavily on it uh, over the course of the season. And I think probably part of it is that the offensive line has just been so banged up that it's hard to create continuity there. I, I actually think it's it's harder in the run game to create continuity with a banged up offensive line than in the passing game um, for, for a number of reasons. But uh, Sanders, because he can create big plays, I think is the kind of player that that could give Green Bay problems. I think, frankly, if the Eagles are going to score on offense, it's going to have to be, you know, Sanders and, you know, it sounds like Zach Ertz is going to play Dallas Goddard. I think those are going to have to be the guys because when I look at this receiver group and, and them matching up against, you know, the the defensive backs I mentioned, I just don't see how they're going to get open enough consistently and certainly not open down the field that they're going to have much success there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then on the flip side, you get a familiar matchup where Darius Slay playing against a team that he used to play against two times a year when he was with the Lions, coming off a, a pretty tough game, arguably the worst of his career, against DK Metcalf, and he gets to follow that up with Devontae Adams. How do you see that matchup kind of unfolding, knowing that these two you know, have played against each other a, a number of times in the past? Yeah, and it hasn't gone great for Darius. Um, you know, this is this is someone that he he's certainly familiar with. I talked to to Darius before the draft, um, I guess a year and a half ago, and he said the toughest cover in the league is Devontae Adams. And because of his ability at the line of scrimmage, because of his ability to run every kind of route, um, he's just really, really tough to deal with. And so if you're going to play heavy cover one, if you're going to play man coverage all day and Slay is going to follow Devontae and you're not going to give safety help, then it's going to be the Devontae Adams show. And, you know, Matt LaFleur said it in his press conference on Thursday. We feel comfortable with our matchup against anyone with Devontae Adams. And they should, because unless you're going to bring help, he can beat any corner in football one-on-one. I was laughing because, you know, Darius Slay and and, and Xavier Rhodes had to be stoked to get out of the NFC North to, to avoid Devontae Adams. And then in their first year, out of the North, they both have to play the Packers and Devontae <laughs> Adams again this year. Uh, and uh, I know I know those guys have a, a ton of respect for each other, but if they're going to bring safety help and you're going to play, you're going to play single high safety and shade to Devontae's side. The Seahawks used to do that with Jordy Nelson. They'd put, um, you know, Sherman on one side and then they'd, they'd shade to the other with Earl Thomas. Um, and, and the Packers just never wanted to throw at Sherman. So they had to go to the side where old Thomas was. Well, that's a lose, lose situation. It, it's different for Philly because if you're going to, if you're going to shade that safety toward Devante's side, then the guys that we mentioned are going to have open opportunities down the field. The Packers scored on, on the, on the Jaguars, um, in, a, in just that situation, they, they shaded the safety toward Devante Adams and then, you know, MVS gets deep over the top. 
I think if if that's the way that Jim Schwartz wants to play, um, then you're going to see a lot of deep shots in this game. And if Green Bay can protect, um, that was part of the problem last year. Derek Barnett got a sack fumble that that turned that game around. Um, then then Green Bay is going to be able to get the ball down the field, and they're going to be able to score because you know if you play man coverage against Green Bay all day and you can't pressure Aaron Rodgers, I mean it's barbecue chicken. Yeah, I think that matchup of Darius Slay and Devontae Adams is definitely going to be like the the marquee matchup to watch. But on the other side, because we've said it all season long here, you can cover one side of the field. You can have that Darius Slay versus the wide receiver one matchup. But if you can't cover on the other side of the field, it makes it pointless. And Avante Maddox has been horrendous this year. Nikel Roby Coleman, I, I've said it for maybe a month and a half now. I still don't know why he's on this roster currently. Um, I, I'm terrified that MVS and or Alan Lazard are going to have monstrous games against this Eagles secondary. Well, and, and, and I think the design for Green Bay is going to be to find ways to get Devontae Adams the ball, which they were able to successfully do uh, last year. But that was against a very different secondary, right? I mean, um, you know, they were on – I think you might have played corner for the for the Eagles in that stretch <laughs> when they were trying to get all those guys out there. But but still, um, you know, the, the Packers' offense is very much a um, – I was going to say next man up. It's not really that, but it's, it's a throw to the open guy offense and, and they do, um, scheme up, uh, really, really nice play designs, you know, against man coverage against the, the lions, for example, who I don't think have, you know, a, a sleigh level talent, ironically, um, right now. And, and, uh, who don't have the pass rush that, that, uh, the Eagles do, they had no answers for all of the man beaters that Green Bay threw at them. And whether it was mesh or whether, whether it was, you know, a, a different variation of, of crossers and, and the play action shot plays, it's just really, really hard to handle this Packers offense in man coverage, especially when they're thinking, all right, push the ball down the field. The one time a team was able to do it was that Tampa game when Green Bay, I thought, got a little bit too conservative um, with their throws, they, they couldn't get the run game going. And so they tried to use the passing game as an extension of the run game. And so Tampa said, okay, we're just going to sit on these underneath throws. And then once, you know, once green Bay sort of got out of a rhythm, then they were able to, to really start attacking with JPP and Shaq Barrett and, and blitzing white and, and David and those guys, frankly, uh, Philly just doesn't have the personnel to do that. So, uh, I, I think you're right to be concerned about that because Green Bay has been so effective at, you know, exploiting the things that defenses are trying to do and using that against them. What's been your assessment of uh, George Kittle's best friend, Big Bob Tunyon, this year? <laughs> uh, Bobby, uh, yeah, I uh, we've we've got a lot of different variations of his name, uh, which is great. We finally learned that it's Tunyon. Uh, which I frankly am a little disappointed in just because Tanyan sounds better. I don't know. Just it's sort of easier yeah. to say, but maybe that's because I've been saying Tanyan so much. Um, and, and I will take some credit for the proliferation of the big Bob nickname. Although I did steal that bit from the solid verbal. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, but, uh, it is, it, it is really remarkable to see him because all of the conversation coming into the season was about Jay Sternberger. And his evolution, and and they really like Jace, by the way, and and so do I, and and he's been 
Um, I think developing nicely tight end is one of the hardest positions in the league to learn. And even Zach Ertz, who has become, uh, you know, one of the best five guys in the league at that position, uh, it, it took him a year or two to really become that monstrous kind of player. And, and, you know, your, your mileage on the advanced analytics may vary, but, but according to football outsiders and, and their defense adjusted, uh, yards above replacement metrics, three tight ends have measured, uh, have mattered in the national football league this season, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, and Roberto Gigante. It is, it has been big Bob Tunyon and those two guys that have, and they, they've been the guys. And, and so to see this evolution, he's a former quarterback. He can run. He's got really soft hands. I think he's got an 88% catch rate this year, which is best among tight ends. He's got a passer rating of over 150 when Rodgers throws him the ball. Uh, he's been a bit of a revelation and one-on-one -on -one against Deion Jones. Deion Jones is a really good cover linebacker. One-on-one -on -one slant in the, in the gold zone, the Packers call it, inside the 10 it was it was over. I mean, it's a touchdown and and a, a relatively easy one. So it, I think it's going to be tough for this Philly secondary to, to have an answer for him. I think this could also be a game, you know, given the linebackers for Philly and given the, the safeties, no Malcolm Jenkins anymore. I think you could hear from from Tunyon and Jay Sternberger in this game. I think Green Bay is going to play some 12 personnel, try and spread spread them out and make them play in base, make them play with with their linebackers on the field and then throw against those looks. Over-under, we get a former Packer, Richard Rodgers, backdoor cover back-to-back -back weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I do think this is a backdoor cover kind of game, so I'm glad you, you said that. Um, I have the score right now in that 30-23 to 23 range, um, although I think 23 would be a bit of an upset. Um, for the Eagles, uh, getting to that number, just given how they looked on Monday and given how they've looked the last few weeks, but I, I still, this Packers defense in the fourth quarter loves to let up and they love to, um, to let teams score points late when they shouldn't. So I, I think that sounds, that sounds like exactly right to me. Yeah. I mean, 23 would be like this team putting up like 50 because there are, <laughs> there are two teams in the NFL this year that have not hit the 30 point mark. It's the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Jets. So Oof. that just yeah. goes to show you how bad this Eagles team has been. Uh, one last thing before I let you plug every single place that you write, because there's a lot, and obviously uh, the podcast. I, I need to know the details about the president butt-dialing you. <laughs> so he was not the president yet. Uh, he was uh, candidate Trump, and I was working on a story – um, that was about his golf courses and it had to do with his filings and some, you know, some tax shenanigans that was going on and all legal, by the way, it turned out, uh, and, and we, you know, we did the research on that. Uh, but I, I was able to get a hold of him actually twice. I talked to him for the story and the first time, um, he called from a blocked number. We did uh, the, the first interview, um, and I hung up and I get the call back from the same block, I mean, a, a blocked number, I assumed it was the same blocks number. And I pick up the phone and I hear uh, then candidate Trump say, how was that? And I thought, I think I said out loud, well, it was, I mean, it was fine for me. Maybe, how did it go for you? And I heard silence on the other line and then shuffling and then a click. And that's when I realized that he had pocket dialed me.
That's and was incredible. Cle- and was clearly talking to whoever, whatever PR person or or communications person was in the, I think, car with him at the time. Um, yeah, he just didn't realize he'd called me back. And uh, yeah, so that's that's how the president butt dialed me. That's fantastic. <laughs> and with that, let everybody know, Peter, where they can check out all the stuff you do covering the Green Bay Packers, because there is quite a bit. There is. Um, easiest way to get all of it is to follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Um, I, I write most of my writing is at Acme Packing Company, which is the SB Nation site that covers the Packers. Uh, I have a weekly column at Packer Report, which is the 247 site that covers the Packers. That comes out on Wednesday. And then I have uh, Locked on Packers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Uh, it is the number one Packers podcast on the Internet. You can find that wherever you find podcasts subtle flex and pack a report friend of the show <laughs> ross uglum too i know he's on dad duty today so we're thankful that we got one of his boys ross is great ross is great love ross shout out to ross absolutely peter it's been an absolute blast i'm sure we will talk uh leading up to the game because it's going to be uh it's going to be hell for us here in, in <laughs> philadelphia especially with tony romo calling the game uh, he's going to be tearing this Eagles team apart, and it's it's going to be uh, a wonderful day at Lambeau Field. It it will be wonderful. Uh, it would be more wonderful if we have fans, but unfortunately, that is not the world we live in. So uh, I will I will offer my own reminder for everyone to please wear masks if you can, stay home if you can, keep each other safe, and uh, we're going to be through this soon. Just let's let's try and keep everyone safe for as long as we can. Absolutely, Peter, you're the best, and. Uh, you know, if the Eagles somehow sneak into the playoffs, which I'm hoping they don't, uh, <laughs> we might end up uh, seeing the Packers again. Would love to have you on anytime these two teams face off. Sounds great. So there you have it, Eagles fans. This game is going to be a tough one for our birds yet again. Uh, I don't know if you expected an easy game on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers, but I certainly did not. Aaron Rodgers is going to have a phenomenal time carving up our defense. And our offense, just quite frankly, is not good enough to keep up with Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams. The Packers' offensive line is sensational. I, I just don't see a way... This team ends up winning this game unless the Packers just have an all-time collapse. So it'll be interesting to see what goes down. Um, but like I, you know, like they say, that's why they play the game. So we'll see how this Eagles team responds following the Monday Night Football loss going into Lambeau Field on a short week. Hey. Crazier things have happened. Uh, I'm on team draft pick right now, and team just kind of we got we got to figure a lot more out before we're worried about wins. And um, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Make sure you guys are checking our man Peter Bukowski out on Twitter. Check out all his Packer stuff pregame, and make sure you're listening to the podcast pregame to get set each and every week. We're bringing you Eagles enemies, so make sure you uh, check it out, obviously. But uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at UndergroundPHI. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. 
Check out the website, undergroundsportsphiladelphia.com, and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review with your thoughts on this game, how you're feeling about it going into Sunday afternoon against the Green Bay Packers. Five stars only because we have standards. We know you do too, and we know those standards are five stars. You can also check the pod out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there, and we will be back next week getting ready for the Malcolm Jenkins reunion game as the New Orleans Saints and what looks like Taysom Hill leading the way will be coming into Philadelphia for Game 3 of the gauntlet stretch here to end the season for the Philadelphia Eagles. But we got to take care of business against the Packers first, whether it's a win, loss, or a tie. You know we got you covered. This has been another edition of Eagles Enemies, presented by Underground Sports Philadelphia. Again, big thank you to Peter Bukowski for hopping on the show this week. I'm your host, KB, and as we always say... No matter what the situation may be, it's Go Birds.